Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news in the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Today's episode number 17, November 4th, beautiful Monday. Today's, I don't feel like today's episode is going to be super, super thick. I feel like there's not really too, too much to talk about. I want to talk a little bit about Call of Duty. I want to talk about uh, this beautiful gorgeous game i'm playing called luigi's mansion 3 a little bit of talk about sony and we're going to end it with what happened at blizzcon 2019 over the weekend but i want to start it off by talking about call of duty modern warfare uh activision revealed that it's the fastest selling call of duty this generation grossing 600 million dollars in its first three days highest digital pre-orders and three-day digital sales on playstation network and it's the biggest Call of Duty PC launch ever. I mean, I'm personally not surprised at all. Along with, uh, I feel like their rollout with this particular Call of Duty uh, was really, really smart in the way that they revealed this year's Call of Duty. Um, and just honestly, just having that Modern Warfare name, uh, <laughs> I feel like pushed them over the top a bit in terms of being able to regain older fans. Um, because I, I really feel like this game is a lot more of what I would call kind of boots on the ground, you know, not too crazy with like jetpacks and things like that, which are um, some things that uh, Call of Duty has added, like in the black, recent Black Ops, like robots and things like that. And um, I've personally always been a, a fan of just, you know, that, that old school Call of Duty really tight fps controls and this one definitely delivers when it comes to that uh now one thing that happened last week was that uh modern warfare was accused of american propaganda and rewriting history now i myself have played the game i actually was able to finish that campaign i liked it i thought it was pretty cool um but there was a mission in the game that takes place on what's called the highway of death and that's the name of the mission it's called highway of death uh, and as it's explained in the game, it got its name due to Russians raining fire on soldiers and civilians who were attempting to surrender and flee. Now, the problem is that there's a real uh, highway of death. It's officially known as Highway 80. It's a six-lane passage between Kuwait and Iraq uh, that was the setting of a U.S.-led attack during the Persian Gulf War. The coalition attacked retreating forces after a ceasefire an event later reported as a war crime. So this is something that actually did happen in real history. Now, inside of the game, uh, inside of Call of Duty, it takes place in a, a country called Urzikstan, I believe is what they call it. And uh, it's a made-up country, and it's not really a country named Urzikstan. Uh, um now, when they were act asked about Activision, they just kind of reinforced the fact that the game is fiction. It's not based on real-life events. And for most of these games, and even sometimes in film, you kind of see that disclaimer at the beginning or sometimes at the end of a film or a game where it says, oh, this is, you know, the story is not based on real-life events, blah, 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 blah. Now, after I myself played it, I admit it's kind of way too close to the real thing to kind of just brush it off as you know all oh, this is just a, a work of, of fiction you know outside of being called the highway of death in the actual level 
you're kind of um, playing as a sniper. And there are pretty much mostly civilian vehicles littered across this highway. It's, it's, it's buses, it's cars. You don't really see like, you know, what you would consider military vehicles like tanks or, you know, jeeps or things like that. Um, and then since you play the game as a sniper, the, the, the other characters that are helping you um, pick up how to sniping, you know, using distance and calculating distance and calculating wind direction you calculate wind direction by checking by using white flags and uh you know white flags are usually the symbol for surrendering so and um upon reading up on on this highway of death apparently that was something that a couple of vehicles were discovered having had were white flags to signal uh surrender so it's definitely something that's way too close to the real life event for me to be convinced that Activision had absolutely no idea about this actual real life event and there's no way that they didn't model it after the real life highway of death and um, I think there is a very very strong case to be made that to be able to accuse Activision of kind of creating American propaganda. And it's one thing that I feel when I when I first started hearing about Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the developers were talking a lot about you know, creating a game that uh, introduces these real-life combat situations to make players feel like they're they're actually um, on the battlefield with these soldiers and when i heard that first thing i said was just it's just that's just impossible like let's let's be very very clear there's no way that you can create a video game that can make a player feel just like a soldier feels in an actual battlefield it's just it's just not possible like there are ways to translate it like sometimes i always think about saving private ryan that film as like a really really good or what I would feel would be a good depiction of of war and just having felt what I felt watching it, you know, and, and um, how visual and visceral it was. But I would definitely never take away from that movie like, well, I, I know exactly how it feels to be on that battlefield. And, you know, it's just, it's just not realistic, you know, and when you play a video game and you know, you're, 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 you're pulling the trigger, you, you know, it's, it's just, it's just pixels, it's just data, you know, there's no weight associated with it, and I, the one thing that I kind of wish that Call of Duty would, or the direction that I wish Call of Duty would take, um, Modern Warfare is, instead of trying to go towards this kind of realistic route, like, there are points in the game where you're clearing out houses, and they're very, like, close quarters, which I actually did like the way that they built those levels. And you can make the mistake of shooting a civilian or, or shooting a baby, for example. Like, that was, like, the big one when the game was being pushed. Like, oh, this woman's holding a baby. You can, If you make a mistake and pull the trigger too early, you might kill the baby, blah, 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 this, that, and the third. Um, but if you were to do that, you, you're instantly greeted with a game over screen, right? It's not like... It's not like you hold the weight of this decision. It's not like there's a branching path in the game where your teammates or your your, your brothers and sisters of war are, are having to deal with this decision that you just made, this atrocity atrocity that you just committed, right? Like you don't hold that weight with you 
um, because it's a video game. There's a checkpoint. There's a respawn. You just you just can't. This it's just not possible to do. Um, so I kind of wish that they would just continue, just trying to create like a blockbuster film um, kind of fe- uh, feel when it comes to these games. Like like really really big set pieces or things that I think would be pretty cool to see come back to Call of Duty um, because you just you just can't. You just can't can't do that, and um, you know. At first, when I heard about this highway of death thing, I really felt like, oh, people are just exaggerating. They're kind of going out of their way. But then, definitely after playing the mission and reading up a little bit more about it, I said, oh, you know what? Yeah, this is true, and it's another direction I wish Activision would take Call of Duty, which is kind of holding up that mirror to ourselves in the United States because we're definitely not completely innocent when it comes to. Um, the game of war, for example. Um, and I think it would be kind of cool to have some sort of like a sleeper cell kind of in the U.S. kind of resistance uprising be the enemy rather than just typical uh, Russians or whatever that usually you'll you'll see in these types of video games. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did enjoy the Modern Warfare um, campaign. I just feel like they should take a step back away from trying to make it realistic once again you just you just can't do that there's a point in the game um where one of the characters that you control gets tortured and the torture is uh waterboarding which is um holding a towel over someone's face pouring water in their mouth and giving you the feeling of drowning and it's weird because when the game does it they turn into like a mini game which i felt was just the most the weirdest design decision I've ever seen. So you kind of have to tilt the character's head left and right, and then you have to click in. I think it was clicking in the left stick to breathe, for example. You have to kind of like dodge the water. I'm like, this is just the weirdest. It just felt gross, you know. Like, like the torture is something that is very very real. That happens. That that the U.S. has even admittedly. Um, been a part of and admitted how um, ineffective torture can be um, so to take something like this a war basically you know pretty much like a war crime and uh, turning it into like a mini game and then the person that's waterboarding you is kind of egging you on and they're saying things like uh, like oh you're you're really good at this blah 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 like you're really good at kind of like dodging the water and breathing or whatever like it, it's just super weird um that the developers would think that that would be okay to turn something like that into a mini game uh it just doesn't make sense so uh, i think call of duty needs to get away from this notion that they can make a war feel real uh because you just can't and if i was a a a soldier i I would be highly disrespected um by any game developer that would even think they can you know, translate something like that. Like war is, is, is hell. And you just can't, you just can't translate something like that to, uh, in a video game. So I think they just need to turn it more into a, a popcorn film that I can play big set pieces. I think that's really the direction that Call of Duty, um, should go towards personally speaking. Um, and then the other game I'm playing is Luigi's Mansion three. Um, you know, people that know me know that when it comes to Nintendo, I'm, I'm a really, really big Luigi fan. I don't stand for Luigi disrespect. 
Um, even from Nintendo themselves, they've been disrespecting Luigi for way, way too long. Um, but even even putting my bias aside, just looking at Luigi's Mansion 3, it really is one of the best Switch games released. Um, I can't put it down. And it's it's just one of those games where I think it's impossible to play it and just not smile. You know, like the game has just this amazing... Um, way that they present animation and interactivity with the environment that I feel like most games really don't hit that mark. Um, just how expressive Luigi is, the way that he interacts with the environments, the variety in terms of the different floors that, that you're on, the uh, the variety in the bosses and, and the soundtrack. You know, um, uh, each floor has its own theme and its own um, kind of soundtrack to go with that theme. So, it's I, I I just think the game is really really good. Uh, graphically, it's just it's just mind blowing, you know. Um, and definitely in terms of of the animation, just like the small details that you notice if you if you stop to to take a second to look around. And uh, it was actually just announced as it was the fastest selling Switch game in in the UK. Um, I think it was since the Switch came out, so it's definitely doing pretty good sales wise. Probably won't beat that record here in the u.s um especially because um we're gonna have pokemon sword and shield very very soon here but uh but it's pretty cool to see um it's uh the critics are loving it i, I see a lot of positive feedback from people that have been playing it so if you haven't picked it up i would definitely 100 uh recommend it like i said I, I i don't think it's possible to like you have to be really cold-hearted <laughs> to to play that game and not not smile while you're playing it, um, I, I think it's pretty pretty tough. Um, so first story of the week, we have um, just a uh, we talked about it last week, which was EA coming back to Steam. They confirmed it um, that the first title to hit Steam will be Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which comes out I believe in two weeks. Um, they also announced that EA Access is coming to Steam next spring. Um, but what's weird about EA Access is that the only way you can access games on EA Access through Steam is if the game was already on Steam. So it's almost like they're trying to retroactively rectify that because the appeal of EA Access is you pay the $10 a month, you have access to what's called the EA Vault. And from in there, you can play a lot of you know, the older Battlefields, for example. Um, but obviously, if the game doesn't already exist on Steam, then there's no way to access it through EA Access. So it's kind of weird because they almost have to make up for lost lost ground um, in order to kind of sell EA Access to anyone and make it um, viable. Um, but uh, I think this is a smart decision. As I said, I think Rockstar has... Un- has a really really good understanding as to how to treat steam which is if you have your own launcher try to convince uh consumers to use your launcher before using others but not neglect these other marketplaces you know um so it's always been weird to me that ea doesn't sell their games on steam and um it's obviously been hurting their bottom line that that has to be the reason why they decided to bring their games back to steam it just makes sense um, to, to do the Red Dead approach that Rockstar took, which was offering incentives for pre-ordering early um, through the Rockstar launcher. 
and then you know then from there rolling it out to um, Epic Game Store and then finally to Steam. I think that's kind of the way to approach it, which is you don't just completely forget about people that choose to use Steam, um, but you just try your hardest as a company to try to convince people to come to your launcher in order for you to you know uh, maximize the amount of profit that you get not only from each sale but the amount of profit that you can get from each piece of of downloadable content that you sell for for every game that you have so um i think it's really really smart for for ea to do this i think ea access is a service that i feel like ea was very early on when it came to a publisher creating a subscription service but then i feel like they've been the slowest to make changes to um increase the value of ea access because for 9.99 you get access to their vault you get access to trials but then that's sort of it i feel like anthem is the perfect game for ea access to have been putting on there since the very very beginning um even though i mean i've been saying this for since since anthem came out anthem should be free to play because that game I think uh, very recently they lost one of their uh, producers. I think it was like the third one or something like that since the game had came out. So um, it just makes a lot of sense to turn that game to free-to-play just because the game was really bad when it first came out and it's very, very slow to improve. It kind of looks like EA has abandoned it. And being able to bring people in uh, to a free-to-play environment and then maybe hopefully uh, turn you know, cosmetics into uh, microtransactions in a way um, in order to get some revenue in order uh, to probably t- turn that game around. But it, it's definitely one of those experiences where I'm like, I don't understand why anyone is still playing this game, but, you know, to each their own. Um, next story is Sony. Sony uh, revealed that PlayStation now hit 100 million subscribers. Sony had talked about this, I think it was about a year ago, about their commitment to, to growing PlayStation Now. And I'm sure a lot of these subscribers came even before they decided to drop it to $9.99, which was just done, like I believe, like... Uh, and this happened just, like, um, not too long ago uh, when it came to uh, dropping it down to $9.99. And um, for them to hit 100 million subscribers is pretty good. Um, that shows that this is something that's growing for Sony. It shows that they're going to keep dedicating more resources to it um, and hopefully bringing a lot more of their, a lot more value into it just because I look at Game Pass and Game Pass is really surpassing Sony in terms of the value of that $10 a month. But I feel like Sony is more and more understanding the importance of it and I think they're going to continue doing more to uh, to grow it. Now, <laughs> one of my theories on this show is that they should combine PlayStation Now with PlayStation View. That theory is now dead because they announced that PlayStation View is shutting down in January. Uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment Deputy President John Codera said, quote, unfortunately, the highly competitive pay TV industry with exclusive content and network deals has been slower to change than we expected. Because of this, we have decided to remain focused on our core gaming business. And, uh, I mean, I think this is very, very smart from Sony. I think the, uh, uh, as you said, the pay TV industry right now is going through um, such a weird change when it comes to all these different subscription services. Apple uh, just, just launched theirs a few days ago. 
We have uh, HBO Max next year, Disney Plus in a, in a week or two. Um, you know, NBC is doing their own thing with Peacock. You know, adding up all these different subscription services is pretty much the same price as a cable. Uh, you know, paying for cable, which a lot of people were, were quick to cut when things like Hulu and Netflix started coming around. But now you have these companies creating their own individual services, demanding their own individual fees. So um, it's obvious that the TV industry is starting to, to, to change, in my opinion, for the worse, because uh, a lot of these companies are going to, I think, start to realize how much harder it's going to get to be able to convince people to pay that $10 a month instead of them creating deals amongst themselves to combine and create something like a Hulu, which had a wide range, which has a wide range of, of, of different shows and things like that. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and, and, and see what, what happens. But I understand Sony's decision uh, to shut down PlayStation View. I, I mean, it was kind of hard to tell how successful it was doing. It looked like this year they were hitting it pretty hard when it came to advertisements for PlayStation View, but I guess that was kind of their 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 final attempt to to, to try and grow it, um, and it looks like it didn't uh, work. The other thing that Sony did was they filed trademarks for PlayStation Six, Seven, Eight, Nine, and Ten, <laughs> uh, future proofing themselves for the next I think to like what. 2050 or something like that when the playstation 10 will come out so i think it was uh, pretty funny to see them do that but obviously something that's necessary the other thing that came out last week other piece of news was from ubisoft we talked last week about ubisoft uh can't not canceling games but delaying a few big titles that they had coming coming um in the next few months they confirmed that watchdogs legions gods and monsters and rainbow six quarantine will also be released for the upcoming Xbox Scarlet and PlayStation 5. And looking at the timeline of the delays, especially for Watch Dogs Legion, um, these games will probably be launch titles. Like I definitely see a, uh, Watch Dogs Legion being a, a launch title for the systems when they release in the upcoming holiday. Um, and I kind of do support the theory that a lot of these games are going to have some sort of kind of Xbox One, Xbox One X enhanced um, capabilities. So, for example, in May when Last of Us 2 launches, um, you'll be able to buy Last of Us 2. And then once the PlayStation 5 launches, you can put that same exact disc into the PlayStation 5. And there's a way to download additional assets for it to, to look better, for the frame rate to run better, um, to be able to take advantage of that solid state drive for load times, for example. I can see a lot of um, something like this actually happening for Xbox Scarlet and PlayStation 5 for them to take advantage kind of retroactively of, of games that came out a little bit late in the cycle. Um, so for Sony, something like Death Stranding, um, there's still a strong possibility that Ghost of Tsushima Tsushima is a is a title that's for PlayStation 4 and a PlayStation 5 launch title. Um, so it'll be interesting if you can kind of use the same disc um, uh, to kind of take advantage of both uh, in order to maximize profit and minimize the, you know, the uh, amount of product they have to ship. You want to ship two different SKUs, for example. So it'd be pretty interesting to see. I mean, this is not obviously not confirmation this isn't something that's 100 percent confirmed it's just sort of a theory um 
in terms of the way that we've seen um, Microsoft and Sony handle games for PlayStation uh, 4 and games for Xbox One that are able to play on, you know, the, the regular Xbox One, regular PlayStation 4, and then you have the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X version. So I think it would be really interesting to see um, if something like that does happen um, in the future for for um, for games that are coming out a little bit uh, late into the, uh, the cycle. And uh, our final news story for the week is deals once again with with blizzard and with blizzcon 2019 that took place over the weekend now first off we found out last week that mitsubishi motors withdrew sponsorship of blizzard esports and that was in response to the blitzchung hong kong fiasco they did confirm um that that was the reason why they pulled their sponsorship uh so it's pretty interesting to see companies respond um to what blizzard did or i guess it didn't do <laughs> uh in terms of how they responded um to what happened at, uh with blitzchung and the hearthstone um i guess controversy uh so blitzcon took place over the weekend uh friday i believe was the the first day of blizzcon Protests took place outside the Anaheim Convention Center. People were holding signs chanting free Hong Kong and people over profit. Protests were organized by multiple groups, including Los Angeles-based pro-Hong Kong Democracy Collective Hong Kong Forum, another pro-Hong Kong group called Freedom Hong Kong, an activist organization called Fight for the Future, and a protest BlizzCon subreddit. Uh, shirts were actually handed out. The shirt said May with, with Hong Kong, and it had a, a small cartoon image of May. I saw images of people wearing Winnie the Pooh costumes um, during a World of Warcraft Q&A, a kid interrupted by chanting Free Hong Kong. Um, and I believe this was the same kid that very recently at an NBA game sort of baited the cameraman. He was, I think it was, I think it was a Clipper shirt. I think it was holding up LA Clipper shirt. And then as soon as he knows he was on the Jumbotron, he dropped that shirt and and revealed a free Hong Kong shirt, <laughs> which was pretty funny. And it was the same kid who decided to go to Blizzard and, and scream out um, free Hong Kong. Um, now, there were two things, like I said last week, that Blizzard needed to do at BlizzCon. And number one was to allow the protests to actually happen, um, which they did do. They, they allowed the protests to happen. It didn't seem that there was any attempt to silence any of the protesters. Um, even during that Q&A interruption, um, the person who was, I guess, kind of emceeing and, and handling the Q&A actually um, addressed the kid and said, hey, is there something you want to say? And they actually gave the kid the microphone and say, free Hong Kong. And I think that was the right way to handle it um, or the best way to handle a situation like that. Um, so that was one thing that they did right. They... Um, they uh, opened it up with uh, not making an attempt to silence the protest. Um, and then the second thing that I had to that I said they had to do was uh, they had to open up BlizzCon with an apology. And that's exactly what happened. So Blizzard opened BlizzCon um, with an apology from President J. Allen Brack, or I guess a form of, of an apology. We'll, we'll go through it. So a couple of things he said, quote, we moved too quickly in our decision making and then to make matters worse, we were too slow to talk with all of you. 
We didn't live up to the high standards that we really set for ourselves. We failed in our purpose, and for that, I am sorry, and I accept accountability. We will do better going forward, but our actions are going to matter more than any of these words. I hope it's clear how committed we are to everyone's right to express themselves in all kinds of ways and all kinds of places. Now, before I address this apology, there's something that kind of... um, was kind of reintroduced to this conversation about uh, Blizzard and freedom of speech, where there is a coach of the Dallas Fuel, his name is Jane, and um, apparently around the time that this Blizzchung thing happened, he tweeted um, kind of in solidarity with with, uh, Blitzchung and kind of speaking about how Blizzard kind of doesn't have the right to, um, you know, snuff out anyone's freedom of speech, for example, kind of um, pointing out that what they did was wrong. And um, shortly after that tweet was sent, it was deleted. And at some point, someone was able to confirm through Jane that it was deleted at Blizzard's request. Blizzard um, told him that he had to delete that that uh, that tweet. And a lot of people are looking at it as, well, this is an example of um, Blizzard not committing to exactly what J.L. and Breck said, which is, quote, I hope it's clear how committed we are to everyone's rights to express themselves in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of places. Obviously, that, uh, I guess, retroactively didn't apply. (laughs) I mean, do I believe that if... Jane tweeted the same thing right now. Um, they wouldn't ask him to take it down. Mm, I, I don't believe that's kind of gonna happen. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they would just allow him to keep that up or or anyone else. Now, I said that they needed to open up with apology, and uh, I said, you know what, they did the right thing. They they opened it up with an apology. It just it seemed like a lot of people were not happy with the apology, and. Uh, I think the problem was that people weren't disappointed in the apology. They were disappointed that they didn't get the apology that they wanted. See, the apology that J. Allen Brack gave was the one that I expected Blizzard to give. Um, a lot of people felt that they should have reinstated Blitzchung immediately. They should have reinstated the two casters. I, I went into BlizzCon knowing for a fact they were not going to do that. And... <laughs> The reason why I felt that they weren't going to do that is because if, if they were going to do that, they would have done that instead of um, setting up or instead of uh, lessening the punishment from one year to six months, they would have done it at that point in time. They would not have um, kind of bumped it down to six months and then, a, you know, what is it, a week or two later come to BlizzCon and say, ah, you know what, we're just going to let this guy um, come back and play. As I said on the show before, a punishment had to be given out to BlizzChung. I I don't think there's an argument to be made there. Once again, I I agree with Blizzard in terms of in these settings, um, it should be about the games. And I think the same should be for whatever someone like Blitzchung or a player decides to come forward and say, whether it's um, 
they want to push their religion or um, any type of political view, a sign that says impeach Trump, for example, or um, just anything, subscribe to PewDiePie, I, I don't know, just anything that's outside of, of, of the game that's being played and broadcast, I think is absolutely in violation and should come with a punishment. The one thing I, I personally disagree with is a six-month punishment. I think one to three would have been way more appropriate. And definitely from the very, very beginning, there's no way his prize money should have been taken away, um, especially for um, a, a first warning. You know, this I guess six months would be appropriate if this was like the second or third time that Blizz Chung had done something like this. Um, and, and once again, Blizzard is still wrong for um, firing the casters. And I believe that PC Gamer fired up, uh, fired up, <laughs> followed up with J. Allen Brack um, about the punishments. And he made it clear that Blizz Chunk's punishment had nothing to do with um, the message of him being pro Hong Kong. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest, I find that very, very hard to believe just because of the how quick the punishment was and the amount of the punishment. He also confirmed that the official Weibo account that um, sort of talked about, you know, the disrespect of our country and we will always defend our country. Uh, he claims that that was done by NetEase, who is their partner in China. For those that don't know, you can't just um, go into China and just sell anything. <laughs> you know, if, if you're, um, for example, we talked about on the show about Nintendo. Nintendo just can't go into China and start selling a Switch. You need a, a partner, which their partner is Tencent. Uh, for Blizzard, their partner in China is NetEase. Uh, so according to JL and Brack, that Weibo is run by NetEase. And if you take him at his word, that statement was made on NetEase's kind of behalf. It was done on their own. They did not... Uh, consult Blizzard. They did not ask Blizzard for their opinion on the uh, statement that they made. They just went ahead and made the statement. Now, th those are J. Allen Brack's words. Take it as you will, whether you believe them or not. Um, but one thing that kind of hung over this entire weekend was, um, once again, people feeling that they didn't really apologize. And the reason why people felt that way is because there was no direct apology to Blitzchung. Um, there was no change in Blitzchung's punishment, for example. Um, and as I said, I think that Blizzard went into this knowing that they had to make an apology, not the apology. I think that they really felt to themselves that not only be, it was mostly because of the setting, because we're doing this at BlizzCon, because we're making this apology at BlizzCon where I'm surrounded by our most core audience that will probably forgive us for anything. And we all saw it when that apology came out. There was nothing but cheers and everything until the very, very end. It's not like people started chanting, what about Blitz Chung, for example, right? Um, because that's their core audience. Those are the people that are just there to see the games. You know, Those are the people that will convince themselves that they can separate uh, their, their entertainment, the games from the politics of, uh, of a company, same as, you know, those hardcore uh, NBA fans that attend every single game 
they feel that they can separate the game from the politics because that's their most core audience. Um, and then the other thing that came out of, of BlizzCon was kind of should you feel guilty for being excited <laughs> for what was announced at BlizzCon? And I think that's the one that a lot of people are kind of reflecting about, which is should I feel bad for being excited about Diablo 4, for example? And I personally feel that, no, you shouldn't. And the reason why you shouldn't feel guilty about being excited for these these games is because, you know, there are a lot of men and women that have been working on these games for years now. Um, uh, and they are not responsible for what Blizzard did. You know, J. Allen Brack, as the president, has to take the responsibility for what happened. And I... I f- I personally feel like it's wrong to just outright turn your back on the hard work of, of a lot of people of these teams um, by hiding your excitement for these games, you know, like for those teams, just imagine what they've had to go through. You know, you've, you've worked so hard, especially for that Diablo team, right? After the disaster that was last year, you know that you have a Diablo that the fans have been asking for. Um, you know you're creating some, you're delivering something that that they've wanted um, for a while. You know, kind of going back to that really raw, gritty, dark setting. And then this happens. You know, like that has to just really, really suck <laughs> if you're the people working on this game because all you want to do is deliver this product, deliver the message. Um, Show your show people that you've been listening and and um, just really really make it just about those games and unfortunately it was very very hard to do that and it became just a lot harder um, because of the way that J. Allen Brack apologized you know I think the the high road honestly would have been yeah having Blitzchung there on stage um, but I think I think. Blizzard's approach to what happened is if we're not, if we don't deal with the situation with an iron fist, we open the door to more people doing this. Um, and not just free Hong Kong, just saying anything they want on stream. And unfortunately for Blitzchung, he kind of became the example, unfortunately. You know, they wanted to set a precedent for what might happen. And I think this, the crossroads that Blizzard has found themselves in right now is that the people who are in a position to make change are, are in a, are having to make a very, very difficult decision about whether they should or should not. Right. Um, the people who are, are, able to affect a change in blizzard's policies are are the people that are directly involved in their esports or directly involved with blizzard it's their sponsors for example with what mitsubishi did it's uh their own employees you know we saw some employees um kind of stage a little bit of a walkout when this first happened um it's those other hearthstone players like how many other hearthstone players will protest for example um, and it, it's asking a lot also to ask these, I mean, most of them are just kids. We're talking about, 
you know, what, 18, 19 year olds, sometimes maybe even younger, they're playing these esports and we're asked them to give up a potential stream of revenue for themselves, a potential career um, by attempting to protest. Or, you know, just imagine just over the weekend, the Overwatch World Cup, one of those players kind of saying free Hong Kong and they're an Overwatch League player. You can imagine um, the punishment that they might have to deal with. And once again, they're messing with their own paychecks. And um, now comes the real test is how many how many of those um, people are willing to um, put their paychecks on the line to, to stand up for something? Um, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I definitely understand it. Like, I'm not a huge, huge Blizzard fan. Like, my connection to Blizzard is Overwatch, and uh, that's kind of it. And even that game, I just really haven't really been playing much of. And uh, I don't really see things changing on that front. Uh, with me um, not playing much of Overwatch. Um, I guess I kind of understand uh, the moral line that a lot of Blizzard players are, are trying to walk right now, whether about being excited for these announcements and um, kind of equally understanding how gross this whole situation is with, with the way that Blizzard handled it. And I think looking at what's, what happened... There's no, like, I don't think any Blizzard fan, unless you're like, there's, like I said, once again, those really, really super core fans. I think those super core fans are the only ones that are like, okay, they apologize, guys. They learned their lesson. It's going to be different from now on. I think those are the only people that really think that it's really different and anything changed. I don't pull it past Blizzard to really have learned um, any lesson (laughs) at all over what just transpired, but. We won't really know until someone tests it. You know, we won't know until one of their competitors decides to kind of test the waters and see exactly what their punishment would be. Um, you know, or seeing a a caster for one of these games, a, a a caster for the Overwatch League, go on their own Twitter and say, you know, I don't accept that apology. I don't think that apology was enough. You no. Know, until someone does that, we won't see if J. Allen Brack holds himself to the words that he put out there, which was, quote, we will do better going forward, but our actions are going to matter more than any of these words. So it's kind of a wait and see approach. Now, as far as BlizzCon Diablo 4 was announced for PC, PS4, and Xbox One, first three announced classes being Barbarian, Sorceress, and the Druid, the seventh expansion to WoW, World of Warcraft, Shadowlands was announced. And I must say, the the cinematics for the announcements were just mind-blowing. It was so amazingly done, especially the one for Diablo. Like, I'm not a Diablo fan uh, at all. And even after seeing the game, I'm just not really super interested in it. But the cinematic, oof, that was just perfect. It was just so well done. Um... Uh, and the other thing about these cinematics that always makes me laugh is the cinematic for like something World of Warcraft Shadowlands where it's like this big over the top amazing treat for your eyeballs and then you see the actual game it's just like this low res <laughs> um, uh, kind of classic wild look it's just always funny to me uh, and and then the, the biggest announcement was Overwatch 2 was officially announced uh, including confirmation of the leaks that we saw leading up to to uh, to BlizzCon um, 
And before before I go into Overwatch 2, uh, I sometimes see people on, on social media that uh, create this conspiracy theory that these companies create these leaks on purpose in order to uh, kind of increase hype. Number one, I think there's a lot of truth to a statement that some companies or um, even you know music artists or whatever um, may have leaks happen on on purpose. I I, I do one hundred percent believe that this does happen. Um, I don't believe that game companies do leaks on purpose unless it's like a super duper clean leak. You know, like it has to be the cleanest of leaks. And when it came to Overwatch 2's leak, the moment you see a low-res image, you know for sure that the company would never officially leak something like that. Um, the moment you see misinformation or speculation, you can kind of deduce that that wasn't an official leak. So, for example, the big thing before Overwatch 2's announcement was, is this a new game? Is it an expansion? Is Overwatch 1 done with, for example? the company would never allow a leak to happen that creates so much misinformation. So, um, and that's exactly what this leak did. And I actually love that Jeff Kaplan came out for the announcement. And he sort of joked around about like, um, you know, Oh, I forgot what to say. Luckily, um, the internet leaked it for me and I have everything on my cell phone. And it was very like done in a joking way, but there was a lot of truth, uh, to what he said and even through that joke, through his teeth, you can feel the the frustration from Jeff Kaplan because he definitely represents this entire team. And um, I can I can say knowing from from firsthand, um, speaking with different developers and artists and people that have worked um, on a game for so long, and it's not just coders it's not just artists it's not just directors it's also the marketing team it's 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 a lot a lot of people that leak effects that have been working so so hard um leading up to a game and for it to be ruined because some employee just you know thinks it's cool i guess to tell people what's what's about to come it's it's horrible and uh it what really sucked about overwatch 2's leak was the amount of misinformation um, you know, there's all this speculation and now it makes their announcement so much harder um, because this announcement was already tough, going to be tough for Blizzard to explain to people what Overwatch 2 was and the leak just made it so much harder um, to do so. Leaks don't happen on purpose. Um, so they announced uh, a new tug of war game mode called Push, confirmation of new maps um, that we uh, saw in the ESPN leak. Uh, Toronto was real. New heroes Sojourn and Echo. Blizzard confirmed multiple heroes will debut once Overwatch 2 launches. Game Informer has a cover story uh, for Blizzard, and they uh, apparently know of at least four heroes that we haven't seen yet, something around those lines. So looks like we can expect a lot of heroes to launch when Overwatch 2 comes out. PV was the major focus. They revealed story missions and, and hero missions where players are allowed to level up and customize heroes' abilities. Uh, new models were shown to showcase the upgraded engine. Uh, PVE um, will be exclusive to Overwatch 2. So this this was the, the, the big thing, the speculation uh, leading up to this announcement is, is Overwatch 2 a brand new game? And leaving BlizzCon, it's still very hard to tell. Um, how big the scale of this of this game is but oh, but blizzard is telling everyone that this is a new game this is 
legitimately being treated as a sequel and not just as an expansion. And their aim is to change the meaning of what a sequel is. Uh, Because I sort of, I can't think of any game that has actually done this. And I, you know, I'm not the type of person to pat myself in the back or say I told you so. But damn, my theory was 100% correct when it came to how they were treating Overwatch. So what they're doing is that Overwatch 2 releases, the PvE is exclusive to Overwatch 2, as I as I said when, when I talked about this, I think it was two episodes ago. And then the PvP will be shared between Overwatch 1 and Overwatch 2. So if you're just interested in the PvP mode, you have no need to buy Overwatch 2. You can play with people that have overwatch 2 even though you only have overwatch 1 and uh they did confirm that at some point even on pc the client will change over to overwatch 2 even if you only own overwatch 1 so the question has become well why would i buy overwatch 2 for example uh the new mode push will be on both games toronto will be on both games all new maps are on both games all new all future heroes will be on both games if you do choose to buy overwatch 2 all your cosmetics will will move over and uh if overwatch 2 is really i feel is for the core fans i think it's for those fans that have been there since day 1 that have really really wanted lore the pve i will say the updated the upgraded engine does make a difference like i can see the difference but for people like me that play on pc we usually change all the settings to low so all that new razzle dazzle isn't really going to affect us um but i think it looks it looks good they they did they're doing what i wanted them to do which is what i spoke about two episodes ago which was i hope the pv is on their own maps and it kind of does look that way when I watched a gameplay of them uh, showing the run-through of, of the Rio de Janeiro level. There were multiple parts to it. At some point, you go into a ship. Um, you know, uh, there are alleyways, but then they kind of open up into to, to really big kind of mini arena spaces. So I think they did listen to that feedback, and it does feel like these Rio de Janeiro could maybe become a map in the future, but it doesn't seem like... It was created like, hey, guys, when we create this level, it has to be for PvE and PvP in mind. It looks like it was created just for PvE in mind. Um, The upgraded abilities that were leaked, the upgraded quote-unquote talents are amazing. They're a way to kind of break the game because they're only in PvE. So there's one where, you know, Hanzo's arrow will hit every single uh, enemy that you marked um, with the, uh, the sonar arrow, for example. Um, you know, May can turn into like an ice ball and bowl over enemies. There's a lot of cool things that you can uh, sort of do with it. Um, as a person who's been playing Overwatch since the beta, um, I'm a little bit conflicted about Overwatch 2 right now because while the PvE does look fun, um, even though Blizzard is promising replayability and they could probably deliver it by you know, using multipliers and, you know, sliders and things like that. Maybe you can, you know, uh, change the enemies that show up on different levels or um, put different modifiers, for example, to change the way the enemies behave or the types of attacks and things like that. 
Um, so maybe it's sort of like bringing workshop a little bit um, into the PVE for the hero missions. Um, even with that, I, I, I can't imagine myself really replaying um, through any of these things personally. PVP is really where it's at for me. And my issue right now with Overwatch is that the PVP is just, honestly, this is boring. <laughs> um, I'm really tired of, of the, the shield meta, and um, that's kind of why I put down the game for a little bit. So I think the struggle right now that um, Blizzard is going to have to go through with Overwatch 2 is convincing people that Overwatch 2 is a sequel. And um, that's going to be their job in the coming year. I, I, I thought this game would be out sooner than I than than what's it seems it will be. It kind of seems like the game is still a year out to the point that it's possible that this game could we could see this game on PS5 and Xbox Scarlet possibly at launch, for example. Um, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I I think that the one thing that they didn't talk about was monetization and. Once again, I still do believe that they're going to create new attempts to, to, to make money off of this game. I think that one thing that they sh that one theory that we spoke about was Overwatch going free to play. And I don't see that happening in the coming year. I don't see it happening even at Overwatch 2 launch. I definitely see it happening at some point, though. Overwatch going free to play. And, um,. Like I said, with that, what's going to start to happen is just more ways that they're going to try to monetize it. I personally think that what Blizzard should do is they do have sort of a token system in the game. You can purchase tokens to buy Overwatch League skins. And um, if you watch Overwatch League, you actually can earn free tokens. Um, and I think the way that they should go about it is create an item shop where people can buy older skins from really old you know from the first or second halloween event because now you're going to have a lot of new players right and usually when a halloween event comes out they um you're able to get every single skin um from every halloween event but then that kind of muddies up the boxes in terms of you know you might not get the new skins because there's a possibility you'll you'll probably roll one of the older ones so it would suck to be a brand new player and it, it might be pretty tough to get a new skin that was put into that particular event. So I could see them opening an item shop where you can spend tokens to purchase um, older skins, older items, for example. Uh, maybe exclusive gun skins, for example. Um, and what I would do if I was Blizzard, turn, turn Overwatch 1 free to play. Uh, keep the token system. And... Uh, continue giving away free tokens for watching Overwatch League. That way you will increase Overwatch League viewership because now you'll have viewers that are watching it that, you know, maybe they don't really care for Overwatch League skins, but hey, if I get tokens that I can spend on this brand new item shop for watching Overwatch League, that'd be pretty great. I think Blizzard could definitely use an infusion of getting more viewers to Overwatch uh, League. I think their viewership is kind of suffering right now. Um and, uh, and yeah, I, I think that's really where they need to go. I think the big thing is right now is from what I've seen from Overwatch 2, this game should not be more than $40. I think $40 would be a really, really sweet spot for them. But it's looking like this is, to them, a full-fledged sequel. So, you know, it's, there's a possibility there would be $60 at, at retail. Um, I personally think that Blizzard should take the risk um, of, of launching it at $40, take the hit, um, 
you might not make as much of a profit from that first sale, but you make it up by being aggressive and being smart with microtransactions. And, you know, as I talked about creating a battle pass, for example, for Overwatch, man, that would that would create so much revenue for this game. It's not even funny Um, to create a maybe three or four battle passes a year at ten dollars a pop create a free and premium stream and the premium stream you have exclusive skins you have exclusive uh gun skins because right now the only gun skin is is gold um that you can get through playing competitive by getting competitive points so um i think they have a lot of opportunity with, with overwatch i think blizzard understands the potential and I hope that fleshing out the single player will see Blizzard become more aggressive with monetizing Overwatch. And, you know, Overwatch is a show that, man, if, if they were to partner up and make a like a Netflix show or something like that to really, really flesh out these characters, like Blizzard, you know, Blizzard can really tur- turn Overwatch to a global property for people that don't even play the game because I feel like their characters are that, that strong um, when it comes to their development. Um, in terms of merchandising and things like that, I think Blizzard really needs to get a lot more aggressive when it comes to that in order to make up um, for for any lost revenue with Overwatch League. And um, as I said, selling Overwatch 2 at a little bit of a loss at, at $39.99 at retail. So, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, once again, I'm I never felt conflicted being over excited for overwatch i consumed all of the news i followed up on it um i'm still unhappy with uh blizzard and what they did but like i said to me i'm in, in that position where i'm not really a huge blizzard fanatic so it's not really anything kind of that affects me super personally um it's like i like to sit here and say like oh, i'm not buying overwatch too off a of principle i don't like what they did Honestly, I'm I'm not interested in buying Overwatch 2 right now because I'm not convinced that I there's a reason for me to buy Overwatch 2. Um, so you know we'll have to just wait and see. That that's going to be Blizzard's biggest uh, hurdle right now is convincing people that Overwatch 2 is a sequel. Um, and unfortunately, the leak didn't really help um, with with um, their explanation that Overwatch 2 is a sequel, but it's sort of not. It's a new thing. We're bringing people over. Um, I commend them for doing that. I think it was the right decision to make in order to not splinter the um, their fan base. I think it made a lot, a lot of uh, of sense um, for them to, to to go about it that way. This week's hot releases: we have November first, Spirit of the North for PS4. November fifth is a big day. We have Just Dance 2020. Garfield Kart Furious Racing finally coming out for PC, PS4, Switch, and Xbox One. Oh, and I'm sorry, Just Dance 20 is Wii. That's right, the original Wii. Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games Tokyo 2020 for Switch. Then we have Red Dead Redemption 2 finally coming to PC November 5th. November 8th, we have Need for Speed Heat, PC, PS4, Xbox One. Jumanji, the video game, PC, PS4, Switch, Xbox One. Super Lucky's Tale and New Super Lucky's Tale both come in a Switch. And then we have Death Stranding November 8th for PlayStation 4. Now, the reviews came out uh, last week for Death Stranding. The reviews were, went exactly as I knew they would. They were divisive, divided. 
very love it, either you love it or you hate it type of thing. I found it interesting that some publications it seemed were afraid to give the game a low score. Um, it seemed like a lot of people were afraid of, of backlash from the Kojima fandom and the hashtag cancel culture that we found ourselves that we find ourselves in in 2019. Um, but what's funny is that when you read their review, um, it's, it's pretty critical. Um, it didn't seem that they really enjoyed the game, but then at the end of it, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a nine or it's a an eight point five or a ten or something like that. Um, I, I actually loved IGN's review. IGN, I think, had a really really good thorough thorough review. It gave you a really good um, reflection on what what exactly you're going to be playing when you buy the game. And I think their review score was like a six point five, which was very in level with the way I read the review. I personally feel that when people do reviews, you shouldn't put a score at all for this particular reason. Because I do truly feel that a lot of people didn't put the low score because they were afraid of um, Kojima fans going to their Twitter and saying like, oh, you know, you don't know any good games, blah, 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 and this, this, that, and the third. Um, the other thing that I find interesting about Death Stranding is I find it funny how there's some people on uh, social media that are calling Hideo Kojima brave for creating this type of game. Um, it, it, it's not brave, okay? And I'm going to tell you why it's not brave. It's not brave because it's not like Hideo Kojima was like a one-man army that created this small title to get back on his feet and then created another title and another title. And then Death Stranding is like Kojima Productions' fifth game, for example. Um, it's Kojima pretty much didn't have to start from scratch. Like, that's something that a lot of directors and people that have their own studios have to do you start from scratch you have one artist you have one coder and it's like a team of three for example working on a game for years um kojima left konami and was given a pretty much a, a blank check by a bunch of people sony gave pretty much gave him the decima engine from uh from gorilla games gorilla games showed him support they had a lot of their team working on death stranding and um I think what I find funniest about Death Stranding is that Hideo Kojima saw an opportunity. I would not be surprised. Um, I don't think Kojima revealed this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Death Stranding was pitched to Konami at some point and Konami said no. <laughs> um, but I think that Kojima, when he left Konami, he realized how open Sony was was being with with wanting him to make his next game theirs um and i think konami i think kojima saw this as an opportunity to create a game that he's been wanting to create for a while which is death stranding and um it sort of seemed that sony was not didn't put their themselves in a position to say no um i think they just trusted him with this game and uh he really did I commend him for creating the game that he really wanted to create. And it's still a game that I'm interested in. I'm interested in the slow burn. I'm okay with it. I'm not interested in the cutscenes though. That's not something I ever look forward to in a Kojima game. There's a rumor that not a rumor, but reviewers are confirming that the final cutscene is two hours long. So uh, that's, that's a bit much <laughs> for me. Um, but I still am going to buy the game day and date. I still am interested in the slow burn. I'm okay with 
um, kind of just walking around and, and just taking in the environment. I'm okay with that type of game. But this is, is, is really, you know, either you love it or you hate it type of game. Take it or leave it. And um, I think Kojima was very, very aware of the type of game that he was making. I think he was very, very aware that um, this is going to be a risk. And I think he felt that it would it will be enough of a success. And I think that's probably what Sony saw in it. I still think the game is going to be a financial success, even with the reviews the way they are. And I think when it comes out for PC, I think we'll still see people purchasing it, especially when you think about people being able to modify it on PC. I think that's going to be a big appeal for, for PC players. Uh, now to wrap it up, stories we couldn't get to. NBA Live 20 was canceled by EA. EA's chief executive Andrew Wilson said, we're expanding our vision, leaning hard into the new leading edge platforms and taking the time to ensure we deliver against the opportunity for our players. This is EA's greatest chance to make NBA Live 20 a success. NBA 2K is, is messing up left and right. I think a lot of their fans are becoming frustrated with the amount of microtransactions they're asking for, with the way they've been monetizing it. Um, on our Instagram, we talked about a bit that they've introduced, reintroduced unskippable ads into NBA 2K. I think this is EA's chance to really, really make a game um, and and be able to eat away at um, the market share that NBA 2K has been able to hoard to themselves. But honestly, I personally think that what EA needs to do is make another NBA street. I think another NBA street, a very, very simple three-on-three type of formula we, we see it right now with the big three has been very very successful that 3v3 formula even in real life it is is really good I, i'm not saying go out and get a big three license I, I don't think that's the way to go i think the way to go is if mb if ea were to introduce another nba street that would be a huge financial success for them i think that's the way they should go pokemon go uh have surpassed three billion dollars in their lifetime i i spoke about this in an episode of Camp Koji talking about Pokemon, I think it was called Pokemon Bait and Switch. As I said, Pokemon's not really interested in what's happening with um, uh, with the Switch game. Uh, for example, they're really, really understanding that mobile is the way to go. And we're going to see them uh, put a lot more resources into mobile than we've ever seen before because of the amount of revenue that's available. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission announced that some refunds will be handed out for purchases of Fallout 76 after ruling that Bethesda was, quote, likely to have contravened the Australian consumer law. People complain about problems with the servers, lagging, graphic and visual problems, and under Australian consumer law, they were entitled to a refund. That's beautiful. I wish, I wish we could do that here in the United States because uh, if there's any title that has been very misleading in the last few years, Fallout 76 is definitely uh, at the top of the list. And if I were to purchase it, I would want a refund, but on the other hand, I will say you only have yourself to blame because you should have seen the trailer the same way I did. I was very excited for Fallout 76. I saw the actual gameplay, then I saw the beta, and I instantly knew this game is trash. So that was your own fault if you paid the $60 for it, honestly speaking. The Outer Worlds uh, does not have a colorblind mode because it was designed to be playable without color information. That's beautiful. It's gorgeous. More and more companies need to bring accessibility into video games. This shouldn't be an argument. In my opinion, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo need to band together and create a 
a uh, a baseline for approval for these games where if you don't have these things as a baseline where you get, if your game does not open up with options to turn colorblind mode on, subtitles on or off, resize subtitles before you even begin a game, um, if you don't have these things in place, we will not approve your game for our platform. Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft need to come together and make this happen um, because a lot of able gamers don't really think about these things. I myself never really thought about them too much. On my Twitter, I was talking about Gears of War um, 4 is being kind of praised by the disabled community because of a lot of the things that they've been doing right. And one thing that someone brought up is it's very rare to have subtitles in game say music is settling and you know how us as gamers when you're playing a game and, and you're you're in combat when the music fades away you know that the last enemy was killed and i imagine being death you wouldn't really know that so it shows how important that uh, accessibility is in video games so i hope that more and more companies uh, understand the importance of it that's our show for this week. Before I go, quick shout out to Chinese player Xiaomen VK Lion Lee, who has won the Hearthstone Global Finals at BlizzCon 2019 this weekend. She is the first female Grand Finals winner ever and the first woman to win a major Hearthstone tournament. So congrats to VK Lion. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Kent Koji for future updates. Once again, I am Joel, and I will see you next week.